Hey guys, welcome back to the Read to Me podcast. I'm Miss Busen, and today is August 12, 2020. Last chapter, Nisha got up the courage to ask her uncle some questions, and she got to learn a little bit about her mother. Let's see what happens this time. September 8th, 1947. Dear Mama, I woke up early this morning. Emil was still asleep. Emil looked like a very young child when he slept, and it made me want to touch his cheek. Sometimes when Emil slept too long in the mornings at home, I used to poke his cheek so I could watch his puffy eyes open for the first time that day. He would start to move and rub his eyes with curled fists, gazing at me like a much younger child. He was never mad at me for waking him. I went into the kitchen and saw Rashid uncle tinkering around, lighting the stove and warming a pot of water for tea. He noticed me and his mouth stretched wider. It's the way I know he's smiling. Papa already sat at the dining room table reading yesterday's newspaper. Dottie remained asleep. Morning, I said shyly, and Rashid uncle gave me a nod of his head in reply. After the tea was done, he started to heat the oil for pori, just like Kazi used to do every morning at home. He gave me a cup of milk and I sat down to drink it. Then he handed me the bowl of flour. I got up and poured some water in the flour and mixed the dough quickly, forming it into little balls, then flattening them into circles. I handed them to Rashid uncle, who fried them in the hot oil. I watched each circle of puff up and felt a lightness I hadn't felt in so long. We sat down and ate them warm with dal. I liked cracking the middle of the puri and filling it with dal and taking a big, messy bite, smooth and crispy all at once. After breakfast, Rashid uncle tapped me on the shoulder. I jumped a little, surprised. He held up the chalkboard. The dal I'm making is for you, it said. Then he pointed to a small block of roughly carved wood sitting on top of the stool that he sat on to do his work. I could see the rough shape of the head and shoulders. I was too old for dolls, but I would never tell Rashid uncle that. I went over and touched the wood, feeling the bumpiness of it. He hadn't smoothed out all the edges yet. Thank you, I said, bowing my head a little. I will keep it always. Something has changed. I'm starting to feel happy here. I'm starting to feel like it's home. We survived the walking, the thirst, the tiredness, the hunger, the man with a knife. Rashid uncle told us you loved us. I talked to him. He spoke to Hafa. It has made me feel strong, Mama, strong and brave. Now, more than ever, I hope if we stay long enough, hide long enough, everyone will forget how mad they are, and Hafa and I will be friends, real friends. Rashid uncle will be my real uncle. Later, Amil and I waited for Papa and Daddy to start reading, and Rashid uncle to go out before we watched by the window. We sang loudly and told stories so Papa and Dada daddy would think that's that's all we were doing hafa didn't come for a while we started to think that we had scared her off and both slid down the window slid down below the window our backs against the wall staring out in front of us i looked at our bags and bedrolls neatly stored in the corner papa made us pack up every morning and emil would ask if we were leaving papa would shake his head but when emil would say like he really wanted to leave i know he hates feeling trapped inside but did he forget that we almost died out there? The longer we stay out of harm's way, the better, Papa said. Be thankful we're here. Then why do we have to pack up every day, Emil would say, but Papa never answered. Maybe Papa wants to stay forever, too. I stayed quiet, looking down. All I could think of was talking to Hafa again. We waited until we saw her. She came out and acted like she didn't notice us. We watched her draw in the dirt, sing, run, cartwheel... She took out her messy braid and rebraided it again. Then she finally turned and squinted toward us. 
Emil waved a hand outside. She kept squinting and went back to her hair. Why wasn't she coming over? Didn't she want to be my friend as much as I wanted to be hers? She looked around and started walking over and came up to the window. I'll try to remember everything she said, Mama. I know you were watching me, but I was too scared. Now my father is out and my mother is sewing in the back room, she told us. She's not near the window. Why don't you have any brothers or sisters? Emil asked. I glared at him. Wasn't this impolite? But then I turned to Hafa. I wanted to know too. I do, she said. Two brothers. They're a lot older. Then we eyed each other in silence. I thought I heard a chair scrape the floor. We stopped, but heard nothing more. Where are they? I asked softly. I still couldn't speak without my heart pounding in my ears. Hafa kicked at the dirt with one foot. She raised her head, her eyes sad. We don't know. They left when the men came with fire to get all the Hindus and Sikhs out of the village. My brothers went with them to fight for Pakistan. We were all quiet again. Then Emil spoke. So you're not supposed to like us, Emil said. I sucked in my breath. Why was he saying this? I wanted to clamp my hand over his mouth, drag him away. Papa told him not to speak about these things. And you're not supposed to like me because I'm Muslim, Papa said. But it's so strange, I said. I couldn't explain the aching I felt deep in my stomach when I watched her. Like all I had ever wanted to do was be friends with this girl. All my friends left the village. They were Hindu and Sikh, she said, glancing down again. We were quiet. I knew what I wanted to say. I practiced in my head. Four words, just four words. The blood flowed. There was a pounding in my chest, in my ears. I cleared my throat, licked my lips. I opened my mouth and closed it again. Then I opened it and pushed out the words. My mother was Muslim, I said. The man who lives here is our uncle. Emil stared at me. Oh, Hafa said, a little smile sneaking onto her face. Yes, Emil said. That means we belong on both sides. You're lucky, Hafa said. I guess so, Emil said. It doesn't feel that way. Does that mean you're staying here? Hafa asked, standing on her toes for a second and lowering her feet again. I wish we would, I said. Emil looked at me and shook his head. But we can't. Why? Hafa asked. Because our mother is dead, Emil said. And as far as other people know, we're only Hindu and have to go. Oh, Hafa said. That's sad about your mother. It is, Emil said. I nodded. Can I come inside for a minute? asked Hafa. I'll just climb in the window. My mother won't notice right now. She doesn't notice anything else when she's doing her sewing. Emil and I looked at each other. If we heard Papa or Daddy walking down the hallway, we'd have enough time to get Hafa out. Emil closed our bedroom door quietly. They're just reading, Emil said. They won't suspect anything. Hafa hopped easily through the open window. My breathing immediately quickened. I don't know, I said in a shaky voice. We'll have a signal, Emil said. If anyone hears a chair move or footsteps or a voice, they should put their hand on their head and Hafa will jump out the window. Hafa and I nodded gravely. Hafa's long braid, longer than mine, had started to come loose and she didn't have a tie. Thick pieces fell around her face. She reached her hands backwards, trying to collect it all. Can you help me? She asked, her eyes bright and clear. Me? I asked, pointing to myself, jolted upright with surprise. Do you know how to braid hair? I can't do it well on my own head. My mother didn't do it tight enough today, and we couldn't find the tie. I won't put twine in my hair, only my green ribbon, but it's lost. 
Her smile turned to a frown. Okay, I said a little too loud. She turned around and I carefully gathered her hair into my hands. Daddy taught me how how when I was little. Her hair fell so- felt soft and smooth, not coarse and wavy like mine. I sectioned it into three bunches. Emil watched us in silence. Then I slowly wove each outside section in between the other as, I tightly, as tightly as I could. Let me know if I'm hurting you, I said. No, that's good. Make it tight. As I finished the last weave, she turned around. How does it look? She asked. I studied her face. Her hair pulled back neatly now. Thick eyebrows framed her dark eyes and her small mouth curved up into a smile. Beautiful, I said. She laughed and touched the braid. Want me to do yours? She asked, and I let her. She moved through my hair slowly, undoing the knots as she went. My face colored. I don't have a brush since we... It's okay, she spoke over my words. It'll look nice this way. She finished and admired her work. Much better. I smiled shyly. I hear them, Emil whispered, putting his hand on his head. Papa scrambled out the window before we could say anything else. Dottie opened the door and eyed us. Were you talking to someone? She asked. Who would we be talking to besides each other? Emil said quickly. I don't know, Dottie said, still squinting at us. You braided your hair, Dottie said. I touched my braid and nodded. I helped her, Emil said, puffing up his chest. I gave him a quick sideways glance. Why did he have to say that? Daddy would know he was lying. I see, she said, and slowly shuffled away. Once she was gone, Emil and I sunk to the ground. Don't ruin it, I whispered. Well, then you talk. Don't leave it all to me. You don't seem to have trouble talking to Hafa. I shrugged and leaned my head back against the wall. A smile crept onto my face. Why didn't I have trouble talking to Hafa? I could still feel the silkiness of her hair in my hands. Maybe if Papa finds out and her parents find out, they will see that we're just two lonely girls who want to be friends. How could a friendship be dangerous? Love, Nisha. September 7th, 1947. Dear Mama, Hafa came again today. I brought you something, Hafa said at the window. Emil and I stuck our heads out. Give me your hand, she said, looking my way. Me? I asked, pointing to myself. When had another girl ever given me anything? I stuck my hand out slowly. She thrust a bit of thin red ribbon into it. My mother brought me a new one, but it was too long, so I cut it in half. She turned and showed me the tiny ribbon at the end of her tiny braid. Her mother must have done it for her. And you can have the other piece. I closed my hand around it and felt like I was going to cry. Thank you, I managed to say. Why do you look so sad? She asked. Oh, I'm not, I said. I'm very happy. I'm so glad you're both here, she said, looking at Emil now. I was so lonely. Please stay, she asked. Sometimes things can happen like that, Emil said. Grown-ups just do things and no one knows why. I nodded and so did Hoffa. Maybe we could ask Papa. People do stop fighting eventually, don't they? Emil asked if he could see my ribbon. But then we heard the scrape of a chair and Emil whispered, Go! to Hoffa, so she ran off. I wanted her to braid my hair and tie it with the ribbon, but then Daddy would ask me where I got it. Papa probably wouldn't notice, though. It was a false alarm. No one came to check on us, but Hoffa didn't come back today. I clutched the ribbon in my sweaty hand for a long time, then put it in the little pouch with your, your jewelry. I won't be able to wear it here. 
I hope that doesn't hurt Hoffa's feelings. I'll explain it to her tomorrow. Mama, I have a real friend who I can talk to. Can you believe it? Love, Nisha. September 10th, 1947. Dear Mama, The next day, we popped our heads out the window and waited a long time. As we waited, a panic started to take hold of me. What if I never saw her again? Finally, Hoffa came running, her braids swinging from left to right. I bounced on my toes. The day was hot and dry. Dust swirled all around her. I'm going to try to write down the whole conversation again. I never want to forget it. Sorry, she said, her chest going up and down as she reached the window. My mother wanted me to help her sweep and do the washing this morning. She focused on me. My hair hung loose and knotted around my face. Why don't you have your ribbon in? She asked, grabbing hold of her woven hair, smoothing it. I want to wear it so much, I said, but I'm afraid my papa will ask me about it. Hafa cast her eyes down. I understand. It's the best thing anyone has ever given me, I blurted out. It is? It's just a scrap of ribbon, she said, lighting back up. She didn't have many friends back home, Emil said. At first I glared at Emil, but he was only telling the truth. Maybe it was hard for him to have friends, knowing I didn't. I guess he didn't count Sabine. Maybe he always felt like he was abandoning me. I was so in my own thoughts I didn't hear any footsteps, just a small yelp from Emil. Then a hand clapped down on my shoulder. Hoffa turned and ran before anyone said anything. Leave the window, Papa growled behind me. I stole a glance at Hoffa before I moved away. Her braid was coming loose as she ran back to her house. Haven't we had enough trouble? Are you trying to get us killed? Papa hissed at us, his eyes fierce. Normally, he would have yelled, but he knew he couldn't hear. Emil and I backed up against the wall. She's not going to tell anyone, Emil said. You don't understand, do you? Papa leaned in, his face an inch away from Emil's. A tiny speck of spit flew out of his mouth and landed on Emil's cheek. Emil didn't move. Please, Papa, don't be mad at Emil. It was my fault. I just wanted a friend, someone else to talk to. I said. Papa turned his angry gaze to me. I doubt that. And if that truly was the case, then I've been wrong all along telling you to talk more. Maybe we're all better off when you keep your mouth shut, Papa said. His words sank deep, singing all the way. My throat tightened with shame. He shook his head. We'll have to go now. He walked out, leaving me and Emil standing there, our arms hanging down at our sides. Then Emil grabbed my hand and held it and we stood there for a moment before sitting down on my bed. I could hear Papa talking to Daddy, and Daddy letting out a moaning. No, no. We sat there silently for a long time, afraid to leave our room until Papa called us for dinner. Nobody spoke. Nobody looked at us. Did Rashid Uncle know? Only the sounds of chewing and the clinking of bowls were heard. I felt blank, empty. I still do. No more sadness, no more feel, no more fear, just emptiness. Papa is probably right. Everyone is better off when I don't talk. I'm not going to, Mama, ever again. I will be like Rashid, Uncle. When I really need to say something, I will write my words down on a chalkboard so they can be erased. Love, Nisha. September 11th, 1947. Dear Mama, we left at dawn. Papa said we had no choice, and he didn't want to wake Rashid, Uncle. It was stay here and risk our lives, or get on the train and risk our lives. And we might as well try to cross the border. It was our only hope. Papa says Dottie isn't strong enough to walk the whole way. Hafa and I will never become normal friends who braid each other's hair, talk every day, and tell each other our secrets. Rashid, uncle, and I won't spend time together where I could learn real stories about you 
not just make up my own imaginary ones. Now, it's all dust behind us. While Rashid Uncle slept, Papa and Daddy quietly gathered our stuff in a pile. Papa packed a sweet potato with pepper and two tomatoes in his bag, all the fresh food food that Rashid Uncle had. He also took a stack of chapatis and a big bag of dry rice. I'm losing part of you all over again, Mama. It's like my heart is cracked in half and will never be whole again. Why did I need to talk to Hafa so badly? If we die on the train, that will be our fault too. If we survive, will I ever live without this shame? I rolled up my mat and net and picked up my bag. I thought about how I could never say a proper goodbye to Rashid Uncle after everything he'd done for us. I thought about, I thought of him having to be lonely again. I think he was starting to like having us around. Lately, I had noticed him humming when he carved at night. Then I saw it, the half-carved doll in his stool, waiting to be finished. A newer, sharper sadness swept over me. I wondered if I should take it, but then he would never finish it. While Papa and Daddy moved around, I quickly went to our room like I was looking for something and wrote these words fast and steady. Dear Rashid Uncle, it's my fault we left. I only wanted a friend. Did you ever want a friend so badly you didn't care what happened to you? I hope we see you again. Thank you for cooking with me. Thank you for telling me about my mother. Don't worry about the doll. I hope it's beautiful and that you sell it for a lot of rupees. Please come find us one day. Please forgive me. Your niece, Nisha. I never got a chance to leave the note for Uncle. Papa found me and told me if I didn't stop writing in my silly book, he'd take it away. I quickly stuffed it in my bag and he hurried us out. Maybe I will mail it someday. We stood there outside for a moment, blinking in the dawn. I don't know what I expected us to do, but it all seemed too easy after hiding for so many days. On my way out, I was surprised to see Papa wrote something for Rashid Uncle on his chalkboard, which lay on the dining room table. I remember every word. Dearest Rashid, we had to leave suddenly. The girl next door saw us, so be careful. I can never repay you for your kindness, and I hope we didn't put you in any danger. Faria has been watching. I feel her. Thank you. I sucked in my breath when I read your name. I will always call you Mama, always think of you as Mama. I didn't realize that I forgot your name until I heard it. But then, to see your name like that, Faria, written by my Papa. It felt like freezing water on my face. Faria, Faria, Faria. It reminds me of the whole person you were beyond my Mama. It gives me chills as I write it. Why didn't we say goodbye to Rashid Uncle? Emil whispered after we were several feet away. I could hear tears in the back of his voice. The less involved he is, the better. If you both hadn't been so stupid, we would have. I'm trying to keep you safe, don't you see? He ran his hands through his black thinning hair streaked with gray. I hadn't ever seen Papa so upset. I'd seen him angrier, but this was different. His eyes were unfocused. His voice sounded higher. Papa said the quicker we could get to the main path without being seen, the better. Then we would blend in more. The miles went by quickly, and we passed around the water, vegetables, and chapatis, never stopping to rest. As we came near the village, the crowd started to thicken. Papa's eyes widened in fear as we got closer to the crowd. He told us to hold hands and stay together. Emil and I held hands tightly, and Papa held on to both mine and Daddy's arm. We moved slowly as a linked foursome, pushing into the village by midday. There was a line for the train tickets, a hundred people long. We got on it. There were mostly families in front of us, looking dirty and tired. Nobody spoke to one another. I thought about the market and festivals back home, how everyone talked to everyone, chatting about which pepper that looked ripe, who was getting married, who had a baby, who was sick, who was moving. 
anything and everything, words spilling out of mouths easily. There was a train every few hours, Papa said. We nodded and stood and stood. The line moved slowly, then stopped. The ticket man yelled out that he was getting that he was out of tickets and wouldn't sell more until after the train came. The sun beat down on us and we had small sips of water and shifted our weight from foot to foot. The family in front of us had a baby that the mother held in a sling on her side and two young boys. They stared at us until the father shook them and they turned around. When the train came, I heard it before I saw it, the sound of metal grinding against metal, the squeal of the brakes. Everyone turned and some started to rush toward it. Many people left the line to try to get on. The train overflowed with people, people sticking their heads out of the windows for air, men sitting on the roof and hanging on the sides. Papa lay a heavy hand on my shoulder. Stay back. We're going to have to wait for the next one. We were angry people. There were angry people waving tickets. Some climbed onto the steps, forcing themselves on. Some younger men climbed on top. The conductor got out and tried to push people away, but there were too many and he couldn't stop them. We stood back and watched. The man in front of us started, ye started yelling to his family. The next one will be packed too. Tickets don't matter at all at a time like this. Then he turned to us. Save yourselves and get on that train. Who knows when the next one will come? It's too crowded, too dangerous, Papa said. Wondered if we couldn't get on the next one. Would we sneak back into Rashid Uncle's house? I hoped we would. The man ran forward with his wife, the baby, and the two boys. One of the boys fell and the crowds moved over him toward the train. Suddenly I couldn't see him anymore, anymore and the rest of the family didn't notice. The man found an entrance and ran up to the stairs and waved his family over. He climbed up, pulling one son in with him. The wife then noticed the other boy was missing. She yelled out, turning wildly around in circles looking for him. Other people forced themselves in front of her and the man and the boy disappeared inside. The train started to move now. She ran with her baby alongside it, but the other boy had gotten up and found her. He called to her, waving. She stopped and grabbed him and held him to her as they watched the train leave, the man and the other brother, gone. I wanted to tell Papa so badly. I tugged on Papa's sleeve. What? He barked at me, his eyes flashing. I pointed to the woman who was still near the tracks about 30 feet away, crouched down to the ground, crying with her baby and her son. I could see through the spaces between the crowds that the boy had his arm around her trying to comfort her, but Papa didn't see. What? He said again. What is it? Emile said. I couldn't speak, not even to Emile. It was like my brain had shut that part of me down completely. I searched for my diary and pencil to write him a note. There were so many people rushing around now, yelling and pushing, but we stayed in the line. How could Papa not have noticed the family? How was I going to explain it all? I swallowed. Another family went over to comfort her, a father, mother, two older girls, and two younger boys. I pointed again. Nisha, Papa said impatiently, looking at the sea of bodies all around us. Please tell me what you're pointing at. It, look, it looked like the woman was being helped by the other family. They were talking to her, helping her up. I guess there was nothing Papa could do. I just shook my head and stared down, back down at my feet. What if there wasn't anyone to help her and I couldn't explain? I was a useless girl. I should let them all get on the train without me. Then they wouldn't have to worry about another body my useless body, to fill with water and food anymore. We finally got tickets, and a few hours later, another train came. By this time, we had moved forward and stood near the tracks. Papa circled us with his arms, holding us to close together. Don't wait for anyone to get off. Just get on, he yelled over the noise. I held my breath. I wasn't brave enough to run away. 
Papa, Emil, they would only look for me and we'd never escape. Then I would be even more useless. Maybe if we get to a new home, I could slip quietly out the door one morning. They would search for me, but would soon realize it was easier without me. I am just a small, silent drop of nothing who attracts angry men and wants to be friends with the wrong girl and can't even make herself speak in order to save a mother and her children. The train stopped. Papa eyed it quickly. It looked as crowded as the other train, but it was too late now. I saw the mother sitting again, rocking her baby, huddled her, huddling over her other boy to help her. No one was around them. What was going to happen to them? Go, Papa said, and shoved us toward the opening doors. I held Emil's hand tight, Dottie holding my other arm, Papa behind us pushing. We spilled up the stairs and flooded into the car. All the seats were filled. The corners were filled. We moved into the aisle. The hot, soggy air hit my nose and I scrunched my eyes, closed at the sting of the horrible smell. I glanced around me as we jostled into the middle. Everyone around looked dirty, hungry, and scared. Some of these people had probably been on the train for more than a day. I could hear yelling and crying from the people outside who couldn't get on. The conductors were trying to block the train and then it started moving. Goodbye, Kazi. Goodbye, Rashid Uncle. And your house, Mama. Goodbye, Hafa. Goodbye, Old India. Love, Nisha. Okay, we're going to stop there today. Let's see if they can finally make it to their destination. Join me next time.